Let's bring Coach Carl into the conversation. Are you ready, Shawnee? I'm ready. All right. Here is the former NBA Coach of the Year, George Carl. Coach, man, it is so good to see you. We, we've been pumping this up. So we know we've got a lot of people on Facebook ready to watch. And, uh, and that includes your former assistant coach, Don Bassett. It's good to see you. Thank you for hanging out with us, Chris and Sean. How are you? I'm good. I can't complain about life. I got a beautiful day in Denver, played golf yesterday, and hopefully we're going to break out of this uh, uh, social, you know, whatever we're in, and I, I get to go out and enjoy the beautiful sunshine of Denver and hopefully socialize a little bit more. Yeah, we were just talking about, you know, what it might take here in New York State to get back to kind of that normal life you were talking about uh, uh Coach Bassett did text me to let me know that, that he was watching. So say hello to Coach Bassett, but also, George, if you could, give me a, a classic Donnie Bassett story. Hmm. The one thing that comes to mind when I think of Don Bassett is uh, he, uh, I, thought, I thought he was a very wise offensive coach. And most coaches I, I've run into over the years – uh, I think we're more defensive-minded and think the game starts at the, at the defensive end of the court. But I think Don Bassett really enjoys the offensive end of the court. And I've used uh, – one thing he always did is uh, when I got to Albany, I always would put defensive goals on the, on the chalkboard before a game or maybe before a season. And Don Bassett was the one who said I should put offensive uh, – rewards or goals and I've carried that throughout my career that I, I, I don't unbalance the, the 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 points of emphasis I try to keep you know two or three offensive priorities and two or three defensive priorities and I I, I got I got a lot of that from Don Bassett and George I can tell you firsthand when I go to a UAlbany basketball practice now um, coach Bassett who's um, you know, basically advising head coach Will Brown is always talking about, we need to push the ball, get the tempo going, Will. Let's get up and down the floor. So even at 84, man, he, he hasn't changed. Well, I, I, always, I always enjoy his passion. Even when I saw him a couple of years ago and uh, I talked with him a couple, a couple of weeks ago on a Zoom call, with some guys from the Patroons. And, you know, he still has that passion that basketball basketball coaches have. And, you know, I, I have it. I like being around people that have it. And I'm sure that he still has, you know, he's a hell of a competitor. He's had a hell of a career. You know, he's done it in a lot of different ways, uh, from assistant coach to head coach. Uh, he's, he's touched a lot of bases that I think are really – I'm really, I'm really proud to be calling my friend. Coach, we obviously want to ask you about the Last Dance documentary on ESPN. Your name came up a couple of times in the last episode that aired. Uh, <laughs> I was just curious, did they ask you to be a part of the documentary? Uh, did, they, did they try to interview you for that? That was a total shock. I mean, uh, I knew something was up when Sports Center had called me. And wanted me to do an interview uh, about about the episode, 
And I said, well, I haven't seen the episode yet. Should I see it? And they, they didn't want me to see it. So they wanted me to be shocked by it. Uh, but Scott Van Pelt and I had a good discussion about it. And everything that was said about Gary and about my decisions. And I don't think I stood up Michael Jordan in a restaurant. We were in the same restaurant. He was with a, a party of five or six, seven people. I was with a party of six, seven, eight people. And my choice was not to go over there and say hello. His choice was not to come see me and say hello. Everybody's <laughs> blaming it on me. Why can't I blame it on him? Right. You know, you know, he, he stuck, he stood me up. And, you know, he says it was in Chicago. I think it was in Seattle. And I think in Seattle, I think we were down 02 or 03. And I didn't really want to talk to Michael Jordan at that time, to be honest with you. Sure. So, uh, Michael, since then, I've been with him half a dozen, maybe more times playing golf. Never brought it up. Uh, he's a, a great Tar Heel. He takes care of the Carolina community in a high, high, high level of being a, an ambassador. And I, and I think, and I've always, always thought, he's the best player to ever play the game. And he's the best competitor to ever play the game. Coach, I want to share something with you, and I, I, I showed it to our viewers earlier. I, I'm, I'm originally from New Jersey, huge Sonics fan in the 90s. So anytime you guys played on TNT, I had to beg my parents to let me stay up late to watch some of it. I'd only make it a halftime. They would write the score down on like a post-it note and put it by my bed so that when I woke up in the morning, I'd know whether or not you guys won or lost. This is me at 10 years old. Rocking my Sean Kemp jersey. Wow. So even in Northern Jersey, man, you guys had a, a ton of fans because of how good you were. So, for instance, as a fan and a kid growing up in the 90s, I remember exactly where I w was when the Nuggets knocked you guys out in the first round. I remember exactly where I was when the 96 finals ended. And so my question is, as a coach, are you like – are you? Are you like fans in that way that you remember some of the painful losses more than you do the wins? Uh, I think so. You know, what I've done, you know, in this pandemic situation we're in, I've gone back and looked at a lot of my playoff games, and I've had a lot of fun with them. You know, I, I looked at Golden State and Utah when we were down 0-2 and came back and won a game five in Utah. Uh, you know, I've looked at – my second year in Seattle when we had a five-game series in the first round against Utah and won that in, in the fifth game, and a seven-game series against Houston and won that in overtime in the seventh game. And then we had a seventh-game playoff, playoff for the conference finals against Phoenix. So, you know, a couple of my coaches get on a Zoom call and we look at these games and we laugh. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, there's some nights I'm going, I did a hell of a bad job, man. I was awful. I mean, I'm looking at my team play and I'm going, you're not doing anything. I, I was criticizing me. But, you know, I also had a lot of games where I had a lot of fun and we had a lot of great wins. You talk about Jordan's competitiveness, and a lot of people will say, hey, that's what made him a great teammate. I'm sure some of his teammates would say it made him a bad teammate at times. But I'm curious, who's the guy in your career who was the best teammate guy who you coached, the guy who made everybody around him better and made the locker room better? 
Well, I've talked about this a lot about the, the series against Chicago. My belief, everybody says, what would you change? The one thing I, I would change, and it's, you can't do it because it's health, is have a healthy Nate McMillan. If we, I mean, you look at the series, Nate doesn't play the first three games. I mean, we play okay, but we're, we're getting our butts kicked pretty good. And game three was more because of travel than anything else. Nate plays game four. He doesn't play that good, but we play good. Game five, same thing. Nate was okay, but we really play good. And so the whole thing comes down to is Gary Payton, in many ways, was the heart of our team. But the soul of our team might have been Nate McMillan. And I, I just wish that, you know, we could have had – I mean, we were just a more confident, more guided and more focused team when Nate McMillan was on the court with us. When you think back on that series, what went into the preparation for the Bulls and Jordan specifically? I mean, this is a team coming off this incredible record. What was the approach of how do we even try to contain this guy? Well, to be honest with you, Sean, if you go back and look at all six games, You'll, you'll see a lot of ugly basketball because you have two really good defensive teams. And no matter what you want to say, Chicago shot 41% for the series. We shot 44% for the series. They probably won the statistical game because of Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Hmm. Rodman gave him so many extra possessions with his offensive rebounding. And, you know, one game, crew coach gave him a game. One game, Pippen gave him a game. Rodman was consistent. Rodman, you know, doesn't score very much, but he gave him rebounds every night and gave him a great defensive effort every night. So, you know, you know, if I, go, if I look back on what I know now from the series is I would have probably worked on how to score, how to score more points, maybe be more aggressive defensively trying to, trying to create more create turnovers. But the triangle was a very good court balance offense. So it's hard to double team. It's hard to pressure. But with Michael in general, we gave him a lot of double teams. We gave him a, you know, we get, we didn't try, we didn't want him to have isolations, pick and rolls. We would double them post-ups. We would double them. So we gave him a lot of different looks, uh, but be honest with you, I, as I said before, it was a defensive series. And the last game was just the game six. No one could score. For two and a half quarters, no one scored. They make five or six threes in the, in the, in the third and fourth quarter. And that's the reason they kind of blow us out a little bit. This is such an old basketball fan question to ask, but I got to ask it because – how do you feel like now we see such an emphasis on offense and pace of play in the game? How do you think like the really good offensive teams that we see now, like the Golden State is kind of a classic example, would have fared in that era of such intense defense? And we do see the defense pick up certainly in the playoffs, but how do you think a team like that would have done in an era like that? Um, what rules were you on play by? <laughs> that, that, that. <laughs> Are we going to play by that back then? If we yeah. played back then, Golden State would be slowed down. 
they would still score a lot of points, but they would not score as many points as they score now. The game was much more possession-oriented, um, you know, and and almost all coaches were in the possession orientation. Now all coaches are in the playing fast, finding flow, playing with pace. Why? Because as Don Bassett would say, it's easier to score three on three than five on five. It's easier to score when you have numbers. It's easier to score when, you know, when you create your offense with your defense. And so I think everybody's kind of come to that conclusion. The analytics have now pushed us to say that taking crazy threes is not not a bad offense. Uh, but I still think, uh, you know, I think Golden State and and and, and Chicago would be a, a great matchup. And I, I probably lean to if we play by the 90, 90 rules, Chicago win. If we play by Golden State rules, today today rules, I think they'd have a chance to beat in Chicago. But I still like I still like Chicago's defense. Sean and I, Coach, are both in our 30s, but we both also pine for the days of 1990s NBA. And so I, what I love about this documentary most is that I think it's showing to some younger people even that, like, oh, you were allowed to put a hand on a guy beyond the three-point line. Like, like hand-checking was actually allowed, and you could, you could physically foul a guy near the rim so he didn't get a shot off, and it wasn't an automatic flagrant foul or he wasn't being thrown out. So the physicality and seeing some of that now – uh, I, I greatly, I greatly enjoy. Uh, we have a comment from someone here on Facebook, Coach, and I know just for people who are watching now, Coach has a podcast as well. You can find it on iTunes, but it's also at truthandbasketball.com. So if you're wondering what Coach Carl's up to these days, that is one thing for sure. But he's wondering, John, on Facebook is, Coach, if you are advising an NBA team in any way currently. Uh, I help out, um, you know, all my guys, you know, I, I've been to Charlotte, Mitch Kupchak's general manager. I'm good friends. They're, they're one of my best assistants is, is an assistant in, in Charlotte. I hang out in uh, Toronto with, with uh, I'm sorry, in Detroit with Dwayne Casey. And I've talked with Nate McMillan a little bit. So those three teams. And I go down to L.A. with my son, who's the coach of the L.A., uh, the South Bay. South Bay Lakers, and so I'm hanging out in the Laker facility, even though I don't talk to the Laker coaches, but I talk to uh, the G League coaches. I know Coach Bassett had said to me, one of your great joys is, is the time you have now to watch Kobe's team and, and kind of be around that a little bit. I should point out here, too, for as much as we're caught, talking about Coach Bassett, uh, you had Sam Perkins on your Seattle team. He has capital region ties to New York. He played his junior and senior high school years here, the big smooth. And when I think about Perkins at 6'9 or 6'10, however tall he was, coach, he was a guy who maybe was the first to step out at that size and shoot the three. And, and I don't know that you guys shot a ton of threes, but I remember there being a bunch of good three-point shooters on your team, especially after the trade for a guy like Hersey Hawkins. Well, I think, you know, we, we, we evolved into be a three-point shooting team, but the game back then just didn't have as much freedom to shoot the threes they shoot now. I mean, I mean, teams now are shooting 40, 50 threes in a game. 
Uh, that would never happen back then. I think the most probably the, if a team shot if the team shot 20, 25, that was considered a lot of three pointers back then. Uh, but Perk was, you know, when I got Perk in Seattle, he hadn't shot many threes, and I was I just watched him after games. I mean, after practices, he would be having shooting contests with our best shooters and winning. <laughs> and so. And I said, Sam, you got to start shooting these in the game, man. And and he turned out to be really unbelievable there because Sam, I think it was one of the first players to make nine in one game. I think he made nine in a row in one game, in fact. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Sam, and I, I love Sam. Sam's a Tar Heel. He, he, he's, he's a great teammate. Uh, and and we our, our team was made in Seattle when we traded Benoit Benjamin for Sam Perkins. A guy of regional interest around here who Chris and I and a lot of Capital Region basketball fans probably still keep an eye on is Carmelo Anthony for his time with the Knicks. He's a guy you know very well. Uh, it felt like he wasn't going to get a job here for a while, and now he's had this resurgence uh, in Portland. Does any of that surprise you, what we've seen out of Carmelo, what was this season before the season was put on hold? I've always trusted Carmelo's skills. I mean, what I what I need, I think Melo has to figure out is where he fits. And being a stud and being an all-star and being in, you know, being one of the top 10, maybe top 20 players in basketball for most of his career, he, he's not that anymore. And he's got to, he's got to have a transition into accepting a bench role or at least a, a less a lesser lesser responsibility and if he does that i think he could play for another three or four years because you know he's he has all aspects of the game he can score he can shoot he can rebound he's a good passer and if he would focus on being more of a passer it'd be even better uh if he would play the game a little more unselfishly i think he'd be really really better and I think this is going to surprise you, but if he if he wants to play defense, he can. You know, he's just the want there is I think what I've had problems with over the years. Yeah, Coach, you you played in the NBA obviously for the Spurs. You played at Carolina. You coached in the NBA before your time here in Albany. But what was it about your time with the Patroons that you feel made you a better coach in any way? Uh. You know, I, I think the combination of my time in Albany and my time in Real Madrid, for a better phrase, I don't like this phrase, but I think I grew up a little bit. Mm. I, I think my ego, my immaturity, my stubbornness, I had a lot of traits that young guys have, ego, egotistical guys have. Uh, but my by being in Albany, it humbled me. It made me focus on how I want, I, I focused on how I can make my career better and what I needed to do about me. And then Real Madrid really living in a foreign country, going through some, some unbelievable stuff like one of your best players, if not your best player, getting killed in an automobile accident and getting fired and European management is just goofy. I mean, they, 
You know, if you lose two in a row at Real Madrid, you could you can get fired. I mean, uh, they they pulled the trigger on changing coaches very very quickly, and you know, just learning the passion of the Spanish players. And I love I love my time in Spain. It was a great experience. But more than anything, I think I grew I grew up a little bit. Sean, you want a last one here for the coach? I was just going to ask coach, what what do you miss most about coaching? I miss my, my my basketball family. You know, when, when you practice every day and, you know, you're playing 82 games a year, you know, you, you actually spend more time with your basketball family than you do with your own family. And I, I just miss the camaraderie of every day, trying to figure out a, a game plan, trying to figure out a, a two-game losing streak, celebrating a five-game winning streak, um, you know, game planning against the great players and great coaches in the NBA, and then competing. I miss, I miss all that. Well, you wouldn't say it because you're too classy of a guy, but you got a raw deal in Denver, obviously. You were NBA Coach of the Year uh, before they let you go in 2013. 57 wins. Raw deal in Seattle, as far as I'm concerned. 59 and a half wins is what you averaged over a six-year span, uh, your, your final six years in Seattle and, and coaches as somebody, I, I do a lot of work in the capital region with the American cancer society. You've kicked cancer's ass three times. It is so good to see you uh, healthy, doing well, and, and hopefully enjoying life uh, with your family. Well, I'm still going to be in the gym, hanging out somewhere, just like Bassett. You know, you know, I'll just be along, along for the ride. And uh, just as long as someone asks my opinion, I'll probably enjoy it. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, stay well, and, uh, and and hopefully we'll see the NBA back in Seattle before too long. And hopefully we'll just see the NBA back before too long. Well, well, Chris, you should look on a website called Simply Seattle. They have all the Sonic gear. It's really a cool site. That's my dream. I love it. Good, because you know what, Coach? I think I've outgrown this jersey a little bit. I hope so. They they have some neat stuff. They have some good stuff. SimplySeattle.com. Beautiful. And check out TruthAndBasketball.com while you're at it. Listen to Coach Carl's podcast right there. Thank you, Coach. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay, Stay safe, guys. Stay strong, baby.